Well, Amber, I know it embarrasses you because you don't play the piano for everybody to look at you and applaud, but I sure do like the way you prepare us for worship. Amen. I'd like to welcome you to Grace Reformed Baptist Church, and you can read the announcements. They're just the basic ones, but I have a special one that I emailed to you. If, if you're not on my email list, you can always give me your email address. I promise not to do multi-level marketing, but uh, it's a good way to stay connected with what's going on in church. But as many of you know, Brooke and Brian Rafferty are going to be moving up to the Dayton, Ohio area as he begins his service in the United States Air Force. And they're on a tight turnaround uh, time frame for getting out of their rental house and getting on the road. And Brooke would like some help cleaning. If you are available on Friday, June 3rd, uh, and would like to help clean the house or just to visit while other people are cleaning and taking care of their kids or whatever, um, work it out with Brooke. You can uh, bring cleaning supplies so people won't be waiting for each other on an item. You can come at any time as early as 9 a.m. Brian and the older children will be home. Brooke will be home at 10:15. But please let Brooke know directly if you can help them so they can plan. Thank you, Andy. Let me just mention a couple of things before we go to worship. I'm, I just want to say I'm thankful for God and his grace in um, having his people support missions, and we have it extremely uh, good offering that was given it says ukrainian missions but um, this is primarily to our church that we support in poland who is engaged in taking refugees in their home uh, preaching christ to them and working with them so be in prayer about that and i'm thankful for the um, the gift that was given also just wanted to make a note that um it feels comfortable in here. Um, it may not have. Last week we had some trouble with our AC system, and I wanted to thank Jerry in particular for helping to work that out and actually get it resolved today. Uh, we had potentially a huge amount that uh, we would have had to pay to replace the whole systems here, probably about 20 grand, and we were able to get it done for five. We did pray for about that, and God did give us wisdom and resources, and even that, we shouldn't take that for granted and neglect. And so I'm thankful for your prayers on all of that and pray that you will continue. But uh, that's good news, and um, in God helping us with the resources that we have to be able to manage them and function. This week's verse is from Galatians chapter 5 and verses 24 and 25. I'll read it for you. And then I want you to take a moment to, to pray and prepare yourself to worship Christ, and then I'll pray for us corporately. From Galatians 5, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, 
or envying one another. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, you first, privately, to prepare your heart, and then I'll pray. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today thanking you for this indeed Lord's Day as we remember again our resurrected Lord who has given us new life and abundant life. And beyond that, for everyone who has confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, you have given us the very Holy Spirit to dwell with us. I do pray for each of us who will be continually controlled by the Holy Spirit that we might be in step with the Holy Spirit and demonstrate that in our life in how we deal with one another and how we walk in this life. We're thankful for the good gifts that you give us every day, an opportunity to praise your holy name, specific things that are uh, answered. I pray that we, it would cause us to uh, come to you, to trust you more, to find refuge in you. I pray for your people, for those that may be discouraged, um, disappointed, uh, maybe anxious about different things in their life. I pray, Father, that this time that we have dedicated to worship you will indeed be a time for them to, to worship, for all of us, to worship you, to encourage one another, to lift each other up. We want to hear from Christ today, and I pray by the power of your spirit, indeed we would. May a specific word be on our heart that we may truly hear and heed the words of Christ. For those that are outside, I pray that you would bring them in. I pray that today would be indeed the day of salvation. For those that are um, on the precipice of, of walking away, I pray, Father, that uh, you, the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus would be sufficient enough to warm their heart to bring them closer to you. Draw us all, Lord. Give us great courage, great conviction, and great faith in you and you alone. May your name be praised, not just this day, but forevermore. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning. Let's begin our singing with number 314, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. Let's take our hymn books and stand. 314, Philippians 2 says, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. 314.
recovers it all. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. First John 2.
thing. I must tell Jesus. 424. 424. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Matthew 11:28. 424. Good morning, church. Today we'll be reading from Psalms 108 and chapter 110, which can be found on page 507 in the Black Pew Bible. Again, that is Psalm 108 and Psalm 110. We'll be gliding over uh, 109 today just for logistical reasons, nothing wrong with the verse, but uh, we'll be going from 108 to 110. My heart 
is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the people. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth, that your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer me. God has promised in his holiness with exultation. I will divide up Sechem and portion out the valley of Sakath. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah, my scepter. Moab is my washbasin. Upon Edom, I cast my shoe. Over Philista, I shoot, I, excuse me, I shout my, in triumph. Who will bring me to the, for, to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? You do not go out, O God, with your armies. O grant us help against the foe. For vain is the salvation of man. With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will lead, who will tread down our foes. Now to chapter 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever and after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful day that you've set aside for us to glorify you every week, Lord. Uh, as we glorify you every day, we do appreciate this one day that is wholly set aside for you. We thank you for our freedoms every day, Lord, that we have to still glorify you and praise you openly and freely and the ability to share your truths and your gospel, Lord. We thank you for all the wonderful gifts that you give us uh, in this world that, that uh, glorify you, Lord, and that show your steadfast mercy and love to us. We pray that for the many people around the world, especially those in Ukraine and Russia as they face this hard time, that they would see those peace and glories that you give, Lord, and they would come to you. And we pray that you would give us these freedoms to glorify you forever, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's take our hymn books one more time and stand, and let's turn to number 341. God has spoken by his prophets. Hebrews 1.1 says, Look, long ago God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. 341. God has spoken by his prophets. Thank you, Blake. Thank you, Amber. Thank you, church. That hymn that we just sung is certainly appropriate to where we are now in Hebrews chapter 1. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. We'll be looking at a lot of scripture verses today. But our focus, of course, will be in the book of Hebrews. Last week, I introduce this book to us as we're going to go through it verse by verse. And one of the main points that I made last week that I think can be helpful is to understand the literature that you have before you, if you will, the format and the form. I argue that it is essentially a exemplar of a first century sermon. 1322 concludes this way, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation. That's what preaching is. He says, I've written, he goes on to say, I've written to you briefly. <laughs> so uh, it, it'll take you close to an, an 
45 minutes to an hour to read this, so I think we're in good standing for a brief sermon today. In any case, it is a word of exhortation that he says, and it's from that perspective, this idea of a sermon here, that I'm going to continue my exposition of this sermon. It, it, it isn't something that was recorded live. There, there's a literary form to it in that it was put together, inspired by the Holy Spirit to uh, speak in a uh, direct and succinct way and put together in, in a really beautiful way. Um, but the content of this is what is most important. And the content of this is Jesus Christ. Understanding the context and how it is presented, though, it may help us when we come across some passages along the way to understand those warning passages. They're not put in isolation. There are passages that deal with comfort for God's people and, of course, exhortation all along the way. So if you get a chance to read and study along with us, I hope that you will see it to, to that degree. And you'll recognize that, particularly when you get to the warning passages, how you can almost hear, um, you know, today if you will not harden your heart, right? Hear the voice and the passion of a preacher that has understood theology, that is, about God, they understand man and our condition and is as though he is standing on the precipice of time and seeing judgment, sure judgment to come and has to co- give passionate pleas and for those that are discouraged to, to give them comfort and to encourage them to go on. I feel the, the weight of that. As I prepare during the week for a sermon, I finally have to just put it aside because there's a certain degree of burden in your heart for people that don't hear and don't heed this very word. Ultimately, the message is Jesus Christ that needs to be heard, that needs to be heeded. It is Jesus Christ, and this preacher passionately preaches about him. He, he, he is the center of all things. This is why we, in our five solas that we like to affirm, one of them, of course, is what? Solus Christus, that is, Christ alone. Christ is central to preaching. And I thought about this going through this. I'm not sure if I've ever, I don't think I have, ever had a sermon in which Christ wasn't a central part. I haven't gone back and examined all of them, but I'm thinking about it. How how could he not be? Because he is central to everything. The, The preacher here in Hebrews he, he emphasizes this content. I'll just, you don't have to skip through. I'll just read it for you as he begins in verse 2. That in these last days he has spoken by his, what, son, speaking of Jesus Christ. Who is that son? Verse 8, your throne, O God. 
is forever and ever. So, so it's not just a person. This is the Son. This is God whose throne continues. And if you're not sure, verse 9 of chapter 2, speaking of this Son who is God, His name is Jesus, which means Savior. He is crowned with glory and honor. In chapter 8, the preacher continues on to talk about this God-man, this son who is king, namely Jesus, and saying that he is indeed a high priest. He is a mediator, the only one between God and man. Chapter 13 concludes in this memorable benediction, verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead are, and notice this, Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Christ is central to the content of this message. I said this is what you would likely hear if you were to walk into a uh, synagogue as the Apostle Paul went around preaching. He would proclaim Jesus. He would say to the church at Colossae, Him we proclaim, Colossians 1.28. That is the authority of his message. It isn't Paul's ideas and ideology that is central. It is Christ and him crucified for the forgiveness of sin. Him we proclaim. If you remember in a few weeks ago, I preached on Acts chapter 17. I'll read this passage for you where Paul is going on his missionary journey and he's preaching and passing through these places. He comes to Thessalonica chapter 17 verse 1 in Acts and he says there's a synagogue of the Jews. So Paul goes in verse 2 as was his custom and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures. What is that reasoning from the scriptures look like that is his preaching which is an exemplar whether this is actually what Paul preached or not we're not certain of that but it is certainly an exemplar of first century preaching there is a charge that is given an exhortation that is given and all of those flow from the word of Christ Acts 17, verse 3, Paul would go on. He is then explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ, this would be the Messiah, to suffer and rise from the dead. Where where did he get all that from? He got it from the Scriptures. That's what he's explaining. That's what he is proving from. And then he says, this Jesus is who I proclaim to you. That is a great model for preaching. Read the scriptures, explain the scriptures, and be sure to preach Christ. It's on that basis then we can give words of exhortation. The subject, the message, is Jesus. The source or the medium by which we proclaim is 
the scriptures. The solution that is going to be then deduced from all of that and the mandate given is based on the authority of Jesus Christ. Hear me and my authority. I'd invite you to do as they did at the church of Berea. Examine the scriptures and see if these things be so. And the preacher then is just a mouthpiece for this word of Christ that is being proclaimed to you. Look, see. Verse 1 through 4 is considered the prologue here, an introduction to this message that is given. The message is Jesus. I want you to see that. And I also want you to see the source. It is God's holy word. Because God has spoken and he is speaking. Let's begin in our text. In verse 1, Hebrews 1. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, speaking of the son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Let us pray. Father, I pray that the more excellent name will be in our, not only on our lips, but also in our life. May Christ be exalted and magnified in all we say and do. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As I see this particular book, I've called it a sermon. This beginning part here opens as an introduction. The preacher gets the big idea out right away, immediately, in the first couple of verses. The stage is set to be focused on the person of Jesus Christ. God speaks. He speaks about Christ through the prophets. And beyond that, the Son himself speaks and is sent. Let's look at how this is structured here as he as we unpack it to some degree. It begins and it says, well, long ago. Long ago points their directive and attention to the past, obviously. And the point is that God has had a personal relationship with mankind from the beginning. God has spoken from the very beginning. And here you can listen, or if you want to look, go to the beginning of the Bible in, in Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, 
And I'll jump around here in the first part of Genesis, just looking back to this relationship that God had from the very beginning. Chapter 2, verse 15 of Genesis. The Lord took the man and put him in a garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. So God is in communication with man from the very beginning, blesses him, and gives him the resources that he needs to live. One commandment, <laughs> there's, there's one they don't eat from, and of course they disobeyed it, and we know the rest of the story in chapter 3. Verse 18 of chapter 2, God also says and communicates to man that it wouldn't be good for you to be alone. That God would indeed make a helper for him. God, from we find from 127, creates man, that is mankind, as we understand it, male and female. He creates them in his image and has a point for it to glorify his name. And one of the ways in which God has blessed them in verse 28, he commands them then to be fruitful, to multiply and fill the earth and have dominion as God's vice regent over the rest of creation. Mankind, in compared to the rest of the creation, is uniquely created, it says, in his image, both male and female. And by the way, that's all there is, male and female, and any um, rejection of that is a violation of God. It is a blasphemy of his creation. I just want to put that out there while I can. Well, I still can. They just may <coughs> penalize me for that. But we're going to say that because that is God's design and his truth, and he has a purpose and plan for it. God has, in so doing, has created man uniquely to be in communion and communication with him as the creator God. Man is said to be in God's image. Mankind is not a lesser God, if you will, but a unique creature that is gifted with attributes that we call theologically those things that are of God that are communicable to mankind. And what I mean by that distinction is there are some things about God, his essence, his being, his character, and his nature that don't transfer. One of them, and, and they're obvious, you know, one of them is his knowledge. He's omniscient. That is, God knows absolutely everything. It isn't like he has to study. It isn't that he has to think about it. He just knows. Jesus, we read in the Gospels, we went through John, he already knows what is in the heart of man. He already knows what is going to happen in the future. He knows perfectly what has all transpired in the past, and we talked today in the, in, the, in the training hour about God's providence and that he, he governs all things for his glory and ultimately the good of those that are redeemed. God is all-powerful. He can accomplish anything. He is omnipresent. This doesn't relate to us. We can't be everywhere at every place at the same time and listen to everyone at the same time and have no 
no distraction in the focus. You understand God is of a totally different being. He is self-sufficient. We think we're self-sufficient until some shortages come. Until there's nothing on the shelf we want to go pick up. Then we'll find out we're not all that self-sufficient. Well, God is. He doesn't need a creation. He makes it out of the overflow of who he is. He is absolutely sovereign over everything and hasn't given his sovereignty over to man. Man is still subject to God. God gave man a responsibility and he blew it in disobedience to him. But what is this imaging if we're not God? Well, the imaging is that there are characteristics of God that are uniquely out of the physical creatures that are here on earth that are unique in man. Man didn't come along as some sort of primordial slime that developed into a person. That, that again, is a, is a blasphemous thought about God who created man and, in so creating, communicates with him. But there has to be a basis for that communication. We call these the communicable attributes of God. What, what are some of them? Even though we don't display them in perfection because of the fall, our sin, but you will see goodness. You will see love, a certain degree of justice and mercy, rationality, and one of the key things is speech. Man is uniquely made in God's image, both male and female, to commune and communicate with God. This is a unique feature of mankind. God has designed us, beloved, from the beginning to communicate with him. We can indeed hear him. We can listen to him. But the history shows, chapter 3, mankind in Adam listened to a different voice the voice of the devil. We rebelled against God and doubted his word and disobeyed him. The rebellion of the devil himself and the other angels that went along with him, we call them demons now, when they rebelled, their fate was sealed. There is no plan of redemption, if you will, for the devil or the demon. They would lose what fellowship they had as created beings. And by the way, the preacher of Hebrews will talk about angels, so we'll get into that in a bit. We probably don't talk about it enough here, but nevertheless, in our day, but this was a very important concept to them at this time. But um, I I digress. The the point is there was a rebellion of Lucifer and the other angels who went with him in rebellion, in their rebellion, their, say, their uh, fate is sealed. They lose fellowship with God, and they will justly be condemned forever and ever, thereby preserving God's holiness. In the rebellion of mankind, it is different. As we read and as the word that is spoken by God unfolds in 
the pages of Scripture, we find there is a different outcome in the rebellion of man. God would, could have and justly destroyed all of us from the very beginning. But God had a different purpose. In this evil, God chose to display other aspects of his glory that would not have been on display to the degree that they are anyway, to where they could be seen, experienced, enjoyed, and praised. What would those be without the redemption of mankind that God chose to do? Well, you wouldn't see mercy. You wouldn't really know what it is. Mercy is not giving somebody something they deserve. <laughs> Brother Becker said, I, I love this phrase, how are you doing? Better than I deserve. I love saying that myself too and really meaning it and thinking it. The wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. The fact that we aren't demonstrates God's mercy. And beyond that, his grace, that is unmerited favor given to us. It isn't that we earn anything can't do any kind of incandate uh, any kind of uh, practices and so forth to somehow get on the good side of God if you will like many do God is self-sufficient we already mentioned he doesn't need that he doesn't need uh, anything from us he gives God is gracious he's also patient he's patient in not giving the justice that is due. He is kind. He is faithful. And I'd add, too, humility as well to even bother with mankind. That's just to name a few. We could go on and on and on. These are displayed in the redemption of man. If, there, if, you, if you thought the redemption of man was somehow about you just getting a better place to stay for the rest of your life, you missed it. I understand the warning about how awful hell is, and I think about that at times. And there are many people who try to pretend as if it doesn't exist, right? Because in their mind, they can't imagine something that awful. And like I say, when you prepare for some of this, then you, 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 you look over the edge and you see what's coming. People have no idea what is coming. The full wrath of God is coming. Take refuge in Christ and him alone. God created mankind in his image which enables us to have fellowship with him. And when mankind in their rebellion, in Adam and all who follow in Adam, broke that holy communion and communication with God, God takes the initiative to seek and to save that which is lost. You see how that glorifies him? It is God doing this, rescuing the sinner, rescuing the, re the rebellious. Doesn't have to, and he doesn't in the case of the angelic host that did rebel, but to man, he rescues them because he wants to demonstrate another side aspects, if you will, 
of his glory. In Genesis 3, after the fall, God 3.9, the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? Now, we already know God is omniscient. So, you know he's not trying to look for him like a parent would be looking for a lost child, not in that sense. He's not trying to gather information that he wouldn't otherwise have. This is speaking, God speaking in the past from the very beginning directly to Adam to make him aware of his circumstances. He's lost. God speaks to reveal that truth. And this spoken God, this God who speaks, speaks from the very beginning. The preacher of Hebrews said, God spoke long ago from the beginning. And, back to Hebrews, he, he notes that God spoke specifically, historically, to people we relate with, that is, to our fathers. It wasn't just to Adam, but it's been an ongoing thing. Historically, God has not left us without a witness of his voice. All of history he has spoken. All of those who preceded us can confirm that indeed God has spoken. We take it for granted, I would say, in this day and perhaps all along, that God does speak to mankind. He has no obligation to do so, but in response to our rebellion, he demonstrates his attributes of mercy and kindness and goodness. God speaking to us, we call it revelation, right? But think about that revelation, what God must do with this creature he created and that this creature who rebelled against him, for God to speak is in itself a grace. He doesn't owe us a word about anything. First of all, due to creation. Second of all, due to our rebellion against him. What does he owe us? Carl Henry describes this revelation that God has given and spoken to our fathers that are recorded for us here that you have in your lap even now. He calls it a, and I like this, a divinely initiated activity, as I've been mentioning, God's free communication by which he alone turns his personal privacy into a deliberate disclosure of his reality. That, that's what revelation is. It's a disclosure of himself. We wouldn't know about God unless he revealed himself, unless he disclosed himself. He discloses himself, of course, generally in creation. 
the, the heavens declare the glory of God, as the psalmist would say. But that declaration there is a general sense. Of course, you can look up and see how wonderful this is. Unless your heart is hardened and you're still in great rebellion against him. You, you, you can see in other human beings, which I find amazing, too, for people who even who might rebe- be in rebellion and rejection against God, but I've, I see good things about a lot of people and their character. That, m- that moral drive to do what is right, it, it's an expression of God's image, if you will. But we really won't truly know God, know him, his will, truly about his purposes, unless he chooses to disclose that to us. Imagine if you're talking to somebody and you know about them, right? You read about them, but then they choose to disclose themselves to you. They tell you about their personal thoughts. That's really what this speaking is. It is God giving up his privacy, if you will, to communicate with God, with man. It is great grace. And I know this is messianic and we'll get to it in Hebrews later, but 8.4 of Psalm, Psalm 8.4, the expression is this way. What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him. Stop and think about that for a minute. You know who God is. You know what we've done. Why is he even mindful of us? It is a display of his glory. That's why. So God does speak. He, in that sense, he humbles himself to come to our level to actually provide a revelation of himself, right, And he has to do so, think about it, on our level in a way that we can actually understand it. Calvin puts this communication that God gives us, his speaking in this way, and I'll quote from his institutes. God in so speaking lisps with us as nurses. As nurses are wont to do with little children, such modes of expression, therefore, do not express what kind of being God is as as accommodate the knowledge of him to our feebleness. In so doing, he must, of course, stoop far below his height. You got it? So some people have described this as baby talk, if you will, and that's a good illustration. In a sense, if you you have small children, you want to talk to them, you want to communicate to them, you can. But you have to do so on their level. Why? Because they can't comprehend everything. You have to build them up and they will grow. But could you imagine the mind of God then to the mind of man? This is what he does. Humbles himself to communicate to us on our level. And the means that he does it is through these prophets. So that we will hear what he has to say. Our text in Hebrews describes that communication as occurring 
Many times in many ways he spoke. He spoke many times and many ways. So it is not only on our level, if you will, of an understanding, but there is a progression in that revelation as well. That's the idea. This many times that the preacher of Hebrews talks about is that it isn't just once and once would be enough, but continually throughout history, God has continued to speak to mankind. Obviously, it is in different ways through that time, different means by which that revelation is given. But the revelation that is given, it is all true from the very beginning. But it has to start in portions, if you will. In other words, as if you have no revelation of God, no special revelation in that sense, and it has to begin somewhere. And can it begin any better than in the beginning God created the heavens and earth? And then it progressively builds on that divine revelation. And in time and in the incarnation of the Son, we find out in John 1 that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things are made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Do you see how it progresses? It was always Christ who is the spoken word, who speaks the world into existence. But we progressively understand that as the scriptures begin in uh, informing us from the very beginning to um, the completion of it and the final revelation in Jesus Christ. All that is said is true. It'll be expounded upon. And ultimately, the message will be culminate in that person of Jesus Christ. God who is speaking is Jesus Christ. We never gain a comprehensive understanding of God though he has spoken to us and he has told us the truth, but we are limited by a great degree in our perception and our ability to understand. And this causes me, when, when I do remember it, then not to question God. And by that, I don't mean we can't probe and try to figure things out and, and try to humbly um, question in that sense of trying to find understanding, but question in the sense of blaming God because you don't know everything, you can't know, and even through special revelation, he has to accommodate us to where we are at. I'm not su suggesting at all that this revelation is somehow insufficient it is totally sufficient for life and godliness but god is in his person is beyond our capability to grasp and here i'll illustrate it from the scripture and if you wish to turn you can turn to job i'm not sure how many how much of this i'll go through given the time but it might be helpful to see and to remind you most of us are familiar with the book of Job, long book, 
it begins quite interesting. It almost sounds like a chess match between God and the devil. And if that's what you conclude, you've really missed the whole point. But it seems that way. And Job seems not to be much more than a pawn in the game. But God has a bigger and divine purpose for which Job is going to come to the awareness, even though he has a lot of counselors, most of them are wrong. (laughs) Um, Watch who you get counsel from, in any case. But he's a bit frustrated early on when he loses everything, his family, his house, his wealth. He, He has virtually nothing. He knows that he is going to trust God, even though he slay him. But towards the end of the book, and let's just pick up 38, just look at the chapter. Towards the end of the book, Job is not sure and questions God a little bit in the sense that, um, well, he would like to have an understanding of God's divine providence in all things. And so the Lord is ready now to give him an answer. Chapter 38, God answers, he speaks out of the whirlwind. And here is the statement, verse 2 of 38 in Job. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, and I will question you. Here's the deal. You want to question God in that Regard like, oh God, why did you do this in my life? Why did this fall apart in my life? You want to question him? Do you? Dress for action. And God will provide that question. He says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? Or on what were its bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy? Or or who shut in the sea with its doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band? And prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far you shall come and no further here and shall your proud ways be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to to know its place? He goes on there and jump down to verse 18. Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth Declare this if you know it. From our perspective, we think like we know it all, but actually we know very little. That's that's the point here. And the Lord says to Job in chapter 40 and verse 1, Shall a fault finder, verse 2, contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. And here's Job's answer. 
and it's mine. I hope you understand where we're coming from. When, when you come across these things, it, it isn't wrong to ask God for understanding, for wisdom, but with the recognition that he is always God. And when he communicates with us, th- there may be some aspects that, is, that you don't understand. And you may find yourself in great despair and great disappointment. But here's Job after he goes through that litany. Here's his response in chapter 40 and verse 4. Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. that's a good response at times to simply trust in him and what he has revealed his promises I will never leave you or forsake you his promises all things work together for good for his glory for those who love God and who are called according to his purposes you, you may understand that to some degree, his purposes and how things might work out. You may see some evidence of it, but you don't see the big part of it. That's this whole part why he goes through this big section here in Job to go point after point. You know how all this stuff works and how it all really holds together? And as soon as you think you figure it out, there is more, whether you look at it in a micro level or a macro level. God has spoken, and the point is we must listen to him. He has spoken throughout history through, the scripture says in Hebrews, the prophets. The prophets are a means by which God chose to speak primarily. Spokesmen for God appointed and affirmed as messengers. Many of them were confirmed by works that they did, miracles, supernatural way, which confirms both the message and the messenger. God God didn't engage in the miracles with Moses and Elijah and Elisha for some sort of um, arbitrary temporal crisis. It is simply the confirmation of those who spoke On God's behalf, God did speak and he spoke through the prophets. What did the prophets talk about? What did they tell us about God? What do we need to know from the prophets? We need to know a person. It's Jesus. Ultimately, all that what they said from the very beginning was about Jesus Christ. From the promises in Genesis 3.15 that God would send a son who would crush the head of the serpent, whose heel would be injured, but yet in doing so, he would crush Satan. That, that's what it unfolds here as the prophets spoke. What did they speak about? And you can get bogged down in some of the details of what they spoke about, but ultimately you will see a crimson thread of Christ from the very beginning to the end. 
Don't take my word for it. Let's spend some time with Jesus in the gospel. And I invite you now to turn to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. We were in John 5 a year or two ago. It might be refreshing to go back. The subject of the prophets is ultimately Jesus. And here Jesus is dealing with those that are in opposition to him in John chapter 5. Drop down to verse 39. And he tells them this, You search the scriptures because you think in them that you have eternal life. That's why they had this religious system, religious practice that they were engaging in and they thought really what all of that is about is about how they're going to then please God and have life but they missed the whole point of the scriptures as Jesus makes it clear in the next phrase and it is they that bear witness to me you refuse to come to me that you might have life that's where you're going to find life it is in Jesus Christ He says, I I don't really get glory from people, but I know that you don't have the love of God within you. I've come in my Father's name, and you don't receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. False prophets, false teachers. It's it's amazing how people will glom onto that and have all kinds of religious systems that is missing one key and central element, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. There is no salvation in any other. That's what all of this is about. All that God spoke about from the very beginning and all he has always spoken about is the redemption in Jesus Christ. But they're going to receive somebody else. Some other, even if they say it's Jesus, it's a, it's a caricature of him. It isn't him. It isn't who he has revealed himself to be. If another comes in his own name, you're going to receive me. How can you believe when you receive glory from another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? There is only one. And the manifestation of his glory is in the person of Jesus Christ. He says, don't think that I will accuse you to the Father. That is, you've already demonstrated that you're guilty. How? There is one who accuses you, verse 45, Moses, on whom you set your hope. For if you believed in Moses, you would believe in me. Why? Because, here it is, the only thing my word for it, look at the scripture, for he wrote of me. What, what, what is that Pentateuch about? What are the first five books about? It's about a person. It is about Jesus Christ. All of these elements here were all pointing to this very one, Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe his writings, that is what Moses wrote about, that is Jesus Christ, you're not going to believe the son when he speaks and they didn't they rejected him and they nailed him to a cross i have time one other passage christ teaching familiar scene from the road to emmaus that also confirms what 
God has spoken about in the past to the prophets, it is about Jesus Christ. It's all about Christ. Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. Familiar story again. Here's a couple disciples on what we call the road to Emmaus. They're just outside of Jerusalem, about seven miles. They're not far. They're talking with one another, verse 14, about what had happened. That is about this one Jesus who was crucified. Now imagine, put yourself there, why they were talking, verse 15 of Luke 24, why they were talking, discussing with one another, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. This is Jesus in his glorified state. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. It is through his revelation that they would. And he said to them, that is, Jesus says to them, what's this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And one of them named Clopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here these days? And, they, and he said to them, what things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet Mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. That is, they had hoped that he would be the Messiah. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. Hopefully you'll know what happened on the third day. They didn't quite get it yet. And yes, and besides all this, it's the third day. So moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they didn't find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Verse 25, Jesus says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Are they foolish? They didn't hear what God had said through the prophets. What did God say long ago in many different ways and throughout time what did he say? Here Jesus explains, verse 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ, that would be the Messiah, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning where? With Moses and all the prophets, that is the entirety of what we think of as the Old Testament, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, all of them, things concerning himself. How'd you like to hear that message? That would certainly preach. That message that God spoke, the point is, it, it was all pointing up and leading to Jesus Christ. That is the message. Drop down, if you're in Luke 24, to verse 44. Jesus later appears to his closer disciples there, and 
He says to them, verse 44, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That is, he already taught them this. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Here, he, it even specifies uh, even this um, poetic literature as well. Uh, just another way to identify the Old Testament canon. He says he, he had taught them that. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. This is what God has spoken about. He has spoken about Jesus Christ. G. Campbell Morgan puts it this way as he divides the Old Testament into divisions, if you will. First, a sigh for a priest, that is a need for a priest, a cry for a king, and a quest for a prophet. Jesus fulfills every one of those aspects in perfection. Back to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2. You see how it builds up long ago. He spoke to the prophets. He spoke about what? Jesus. He did it in many forms and fashions through a long period of time. But notice verse 2. I'm in Hebrews 1. In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world. The, the, the phraseology here of these last days points to the messianic kingdom that they were all looking for, that the disciples on the road to Emmaus were talking about. Th these are the last days. It, 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 it is taught in Scripture in many places about a, a time in which there would be an inauguration, if you will, of the king. I'll read some scriptures for you so you won't have to jump through a lot of text. From Jeremiah 33, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. And in those days, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved. The Lord is our righteousness. From Zechariah 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, a righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah 9, 16. And on that day, the Lord will save them as a flock of his people. For like jewels of a crown, they shall shine in his land. This last day is the day in which of Christ's incarnation, in which he, he comes to his people. It is the last hour, if you will, as John would say in one of his epistles. 
this last day will ultimately be consummated by the coming king in which we think of as a second coming. It is the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father, destroying every rule and every authority and every power. He has spoken ultimately through his son. The prophets function as messengers of God. They carry the authority of God. The message is conveyed through their offices in many ways and attested to by their office as well as authenticated by miracles. And what they spoke of was sufficient. But God does one step further in his grace. He sends a son. The fact that he spoke through the prophets, affirmed what they said would be enough. But beyond that, God is so abundant in grace to give this very word, the spoken word by the son. If you back to Hebrews, if you're there, I don't know where I left you off. I think I left you there in verse three. Who is the son, which we'll be talking about in greater detail in weeks to come? Listen to how the preacher of Hebrews explains the son. He is the radiance of the glory and the, note this, exact imprint of his nature. His nature is speaking of his essence or being. God sends the son, that is, God sends himself. This is God who shows up. You may think in in the way we describe and think about things as a son as a lesser person. It isn't. There's a triune God with three persons and one essence. And so Paul could say to the church of Colossae that in this son, in Christ, dwells the fullness of his deity in bodily form. Colossians 2.9. We already noted from John 1, that this word was in the beginning, was with God prior to the incarnation. He was in the beginning with God, uncreated one who then creates all things. And for what purpose? To display God himself, to speak directly. John would record in one eighteen. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. How will you know about God? Ultimately, how will that be revealed? It'll be revealed through the person of his son. The disciples, if you remember in John chapter 14, were concerned. They wanted to to see God, to know God. And Philip asked Jesus in John 14, well, show us the Father, and and that'll be sufficient for us. Jesus' response, do you remember? Have I been with you so long that you still don't know me? If you want to know God, you will know God through the person of Jesus Christ. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father, in the sense that Jesus is not a representation he is not like god he is god that's the point hebrews 1 3 that's the point they're making he is the exact imprint of his nature 
There's only one God. And if you've seen Jesus Christ, he's not like God. He is God. These last days, it says he has spoken indeed to us. The preacher in Hebrews is raising the bar, if you will, of authority in the spoken word. Those who came long before spoke as representatives of God, prophets, messengers, and even as we'll discuss, in some cases, angelic beings, which Anglos just simply means messenger. They spoke as representatives. They, they were affirmed, but most wouldn't hear and most rejected. But in these last days, now, he has spoken directly by his son. God incarnate speaks, not an angel, not a prophet, not a physical sign, but the son. And the point is simply this. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus Christ. And now you can feel the weight of the warning passages as this sermon continues. And I'll read one and close with this. From Hebrews 12, 25. Pay attention to God speaking. Jesus speaking is God speaking. In 12.25 of Hebrews, it says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they didn't escape when they refused, him who warned them on the earth. Who's that? Him who warned them on the earth. That is, when God gave the message to the authoritative prophets and they wouldn't listen to him, they didn't escape. They received judgment. Well, here it is. How much more? if you will, will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven? That is, God himself has made the warning. Listen to him. He is speaking through his son. And I can feel the passion of the preacher right at this moment and pleading with people not to refuse the voice of God. In Christ Jesus, let us pray. Father, I do pray that we would hear and heed the Son. Truly listen to him and him alone. Give us ears to hear what Christ would say to the church even this day. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Beloved, I'll give you a moment to think on these things. Respond directly to God in how he may have spoken to you. Take a moment to reflect on this word. Father, grant us an 
enable us to see and savor Jesus Christ. And may it be sufficient for days to come. May your name be exalted. May we hear your word. I pray in Christ's name. Let's all turn to 174. I gave my life to the 174. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Go ahead and <clears throat> bow our heads and we'll, we'll pray. You make perfect <coughs> in every good work to do his will. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead out of our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, you make perfect every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We're dismissed.